The time is now. Volume 4, Episode 77. This is Employment Law Now, and I am Mike Schmidt, your host of this podcast. There is some breaking news today, Monday, August 3rd, 2020. Just as companies, maybe even your company, started to get comfortable with the Department of Labor's regulations implementing the new federal COVID-19 legislation, you know, the paid sick leave and FMLA amendments that continue to be effective through the end of this calendar year 2020. Just as companies started to get comfortable, a federal judge in New York just this morning invalidated portions of those regulations. So I wanted to get right back into a new episode and break down for you in some non-legalese way exactly what happened today. First, remember the history here. Remember, Congress enacted the FFCRA, the Family First Coronavirus Response Act, sorry, uh, which consists primarily of two components, the paid sick leave and the emergency FMLA provisions. The paid sick leave component, you'll remember, provides paid sick leave to eligible employees who have one of six qualifying reasons related to COVID-19. And the FMLA amendments, to the existing FMLA allows for up to 12 weeks of FMLA leave paid for the additional reason having to do with the closure and unavailability of school and child care programs. There was also a little known provision, uh, not really applicable to many organizations or employers, but an employer of an employee who is a health care provider or emergency responder can, under this provision, choose to exclude that employee from the paid sick leave and or the FMLA benefits. From a historical perspective, you will also remember that on April 1st, 2020, the United States Department of Labor issued its final regulations implementing the FFCRA. Shortly after that, on April 14th, the state of New York brought a federal lawsuit under the Federal Administrative Procedure Act, essentially claiming that the Department of Labor exceeded its authority when it came to four parts of the Department of Labor's regulations, and therefore it claimed that the Department of Labor unduly restricted the paid leave schemes that Congress had enacted. So let's look at what the federal judge just did today and what some takeaways may be. First, it was very interesting. It was a 26-page decision by the federal judge in the Southern District of New York, and the decision started off right away with the following first sentence. Quote, The ongoing COVID-19 pandemic has visited unforeseen and drastic hardship upon American workers. 
In response to this extraordinary challenge, Congress passed the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, which, broadly speaking, entitles employees who are unable to work due to COVID-19's myriad effects to federally subsidized paid leave. It then went on to say that Congress charged the Department of Labor with administering the statute and the agency promulgated a final rule implementing the law's provisions. Those are the final regulations that were promulgated on April 1st. So once the court ruled in its decision that the state of New York had standing in the first place to bring this federal action, it then reestablished the appropriate standard to be used by the court when a judicial court rules on a challenge to some administrative agency's action. Because there is some measure of deference that has been recognized over the years, a judicial court will defer to an administrative agency's interpretation of a statute when it is within that agency's expertise and when the interpretation is not completely unreasonable. It's referred to as Chevron deference, and that's based on the 1984 United States Supreme Court presidential case of Chevron versus Natural Resources Defense Council. There is a two-step process to determine whether an agency's interpretation through its regulations or rulemaking is entitled to deference by a court. Step one, is the statute at issue that the agency is interpreting ambiguous? Step two, if it is ambiguous, then the court must determine whether the agency's interpretation of that ambiguous state, um, statute is reasonable. So against that backdrop, the court then ruled on four components of the Department of Labor's regulations implementing the FFCRA, the Paid Sick Leave and the FMLA Emergency Amendments. The first, the work availability component. Although not explicitly in the statute that was passed by Congress, the Department of Labor's regulations essentially stated that employees are not entitled to paid leave under the FFCRA if their employers did not otherwise have work for them. So if the company was shut down, if the employee was furloughed, and if those were reasons why the employees were unable to work, then according to the Department of Labor, the reason that they were unable to work or telework was not specifically and directly because of the COVID-19 reason. Stated another way, even if it had not been for the COVID-19 reason, the individual employee would not have been able to work because the company was shut down or because that employee was on furlough. Therefore, the Department of Labor's regulations dealing with this work availability component excluded a good number of otherwise eligible employees from receiving paid leave under the FFCRA. Well, the federal judge today uh, relied on principles largely uh, similar to the discussion in the United States Supreme Court's landmark Bostock case that just came out on the sexual orientation and gender identity issues several weeks ago, but it was largely premised on looking at the terms and interpreting the terms because and due to. 
And I won't bore you, at least in this episode, with the semantics and the legalese portion of it, but the bottom line is, is that the court this morning rejected the notion that an employee's inability to work had to be because had to have been caused solely by one of the stated conditions in the paid sick leave or the FMLA. Thus, the court held that the Department of Labor's rule exempting those employees who found themselves unable to work or telework because they were furloughed or because the company had to be shut down due to COVID-19, the Department of Labor's rule exempting those individuals out of eligibility, the court found to be unreasonable and not entitled to deference because the Department of Labor failed to justify what the court found to be a monumental policy decision with anything more than just a terse, circular regurgitation of a but-for requirement. What does that mean? The federal judge invalidated the Department of Labor's seemingly per se regulation that states that employees cannot be entitled to leave if they are unable to work or telework because the employer doesn't have work for them. The second of the four issues had to do with the Department of Labor's definition of healthcare provider. Remember, as I said a few moments ago, it's important because there was a large exemption uh, from the paid sick leave and the FMLA emergency amendments uh, for certain healthcare providers and emergency responders. Here, the federal judge found that the statute that Congress passed unambiguously foreclosed the Department of Labor's ability to provide a more expansive definition of healthcare provider. In other words, Congress's statute requires one to look at least at the employee's role in his or her position when it comes to providing healthcare services, while the Department of Labor's definition of healthcare provider hinges entirely on the identity of the employer, regardless of the particular roles of the particular employees at issue. So the court was troubled that you can have an individual remotely, if at all, connected to the provision of health care services, simply being excluded and not eligible for paid leave because that individual happens to be employed by a company a portion of whose employees provide some sort of health care services. As a result, the federal judge this morning invalidated the Department of Labor's broad definition of health care provider for purposes of the FFCRA. The third component addressed had to do with intermittent leave. You'll remember that in its regulations, the Department of Labor stated that intermittent leave, which means leave taken intermittently, could be a day here, a day there, a few hours here, a few hours there, as opposed to a continuous block of time. The Department of Labor stated that intermittent leave can only be used for certain types of qualifying conditions, and then, even then, only if both the employer and the employee agree. So the employer has to consent to the intermittent leave being taken. Well, here the federal judge this morning first noted that the intermittent leave restrictions are largely consistent with those restrictions and policy decisions that Congress made when it passed the FFCRA. The problem that the court had was that the Department of Labor's legitimate interest in prohibiting intermittent leave for qualifying events that did pose an increased risk of infection, 
the added requirement that an employer had to consent doesn't solve that problem. It doesn't address the issue of protecting the workplace when intermittent leave might increase the risk of infection in the workplace. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, for a qualified reason under the paid sick leave, if an individual has to self-quarantine or believes that he or she is having symptoms and is going to get a diagnosis, in those situations, the Department of Labor has said, we're not allowed to have intermittent leave because we don't want people potentially who have symptoms or have to quarantine because they've tested positive, we don't want them in the workplace even intermittently. That defeats the purpose of keeping them out. That defeats the purpose of the leave. But if your leave is unrelated to that reason, such as, for example, you need the leave to uh, deal with your child's school or child care situation being unavailable, that reason doesn't really have anything to do with increasing the possibility of an infection in the workplace. So you can take that leave intermittently, so said the Department of Labor. But again, as I said a moment ago, even when you can take intermittent leave, the Department of Labor added this requirement that the employer has to consent to it. And that's where the court was troubled. So the court did two things on this intermittent leave issue. It did uphold the portion of the regulation that prohibited intermittent leave, the use of intermittent leave, for certain qualifying events in order to protect the workplace. However, the court invalidated that part of the Department of Labor's regulations that require employer consent for permitted intermittent leave. Finally, the fourth aspect that was addressed in this lawsuit by this federal judge deals with the documentation requirement. You may also remember that the Department of Labor's regulations provide that employees are required to give documentation generally upon the need for leave, but also certain specified documentation and information depending on the specific qualifying event. The Department of Labor regulations did more than that though. The Department of Labor's regulations imposed a timing requirement requiring employees to provide the documentation, quote, prior to taking FFCRA leave, end quote. And that's what the court had trouble with. The court found that that timing requirement was inconsistent with Congress's scheme addressing when prior notice had to be given to an employer. Thus, like with the intermittent leave, the court upheld and invalidated. It upheld the Department of Labor's regulations that required certain specific documentation and information to be given. However, it invalidated the regulations to the extent that the Department of Labor was requiring the furnishing of certain documentation and information as a precondition to taking the leave in the first place. In other words, the timing aspect. Yes, you can require employees to give XYZ documents and information, but no Department of Labor, you cannot require that that be done first and as a precondition to taking leave in the first place because it is inconsistent with the congressional scheme that deals with prior notice and the timing of such prior notice. So those are the four components uh, that the federal judge dealt with in a fairly um, reasoned decision, I will say. Again, 26 pages uh, from this federal judge. 
Perhaps the last bit of uh, interesting aspect of the decision was the discussion at the end on severability. Right? Many of you may remember this to the extent that you have followed all of the court decisions and the arguments about the Affordable Care Act. Some of the uh, primary arguments in that fight was, well, in the course of invalidating certain provisions of this whole scheme, the ACA scheme, can the rest of the scheme continue to go on without those provisions that had been invalidated? Or can ACA, the Affordable Cares Act, survive still even with those invalidated provisions? Well, that was at issue here too. And the court had to address the severability issue. The question being, can the rest of the FFCRA survive with those provisions that the court has now invalidated? Or is the scheme so dependent on these four components that have been invalidated that the rest of the FFCRA cannot survive and the whole thing needs to be thrown out? Well, talk about what a monkey wrench that would have thrown into uh, all of us and uh, sort of made much of the last five months moot. The court addressed the severability issue by saying, no, the rest of the FFCRA can survive without the offending provisions that the court has now invalidated. So four issues that the federal judge this morning, Monday, August 3rd, has invalidated. The requirement of the work availability issue that the Department of Labor um, uh, included in its regulations. The definition of health care provider that the Department of Labor included in its regulations. The intermittent leave issue so that you can prohibit intermittent leave for certain qualifying events, but you cannot require employer consent. And then finally, the documentation issue. The Department of Labor can require certain documentation and information to be provided, but cannot require uh, that to be a precondition before leave is taken by the employee. Rather significant uh, decision. So here are some takeaways, here are some questions that I leave you with. Certainly uh, one major takeaway, it's probably obvious, but just when you thought you were getting comfortable and you were training your human resources and benefits people as to what the law and what the Department of Labor regulations in April meant, hey, things are constantly changing. I've been saying that on these episodes, you've been reading the tweets, you've been getting our alerts, things are constantly changing. You need to stay abreast of all of these changes. And in cases like this, you need to be communicating with your HR people and those who are involved with implementing these practices and these policies in your organization. Because some of the things that you may have been requiring, some of the practices that you may have been following between April 1st and today, August 3rd, may no longer be acceptable. Takeaway number two, question number two, will there be an appeal of this? Will the Department of Labor, will the Trump administration appeal this? Will there be an initial or immediate uh, injunction requested? Are there going to be other federal courts that uh, rule on this issue, either consistently or perhaps even inconsistently? How are employers, how are organizations supposed to proceed in their behavior? Are you going to act conservatively and uh, now look at your policies and practices and forms and make sure that you are not proceeding along the lines of the provisions that have now been invalidated by at least this one federal judge? 
We're going to have to wait to see what happens in terms of an immediate appeal, whether other federal courts uh, get into the game or, or what happens. Obviously, we're less than 24 hours since this decision came down, uh, but it is going to require, at least for the moment, as I said, companies, employers to look at their policies, their practices, their forms, and uh, decide how to proceed from here. Takeaway number three, question number three, it is likely, and this will be subject to appeal, subject to really a final word on this stuff, but it's likely that you may have employees and groups of employees filing lawsuits, maybe class action lawsuits, on leave that was denied to them from April 1st to August 3rd, maybe requirements that were imposed on them, all of which were based on provisions now that this federal judge has said were uh, not permissible, were invalid. What's going to be the likelihood of success of those lawsuits? Well, we'll need to consider the, uh, the substance of those and what the actual claims are, but it also remains to be seen whether companies are going to be able to rely on this good faith reliance defense that exists in certain cases, at least under the Fair Labor Standards Act, the FLSA, in some cases, where if a company does prove that it relied and relied in good faith on prior regulations or prior guidance or interpretation of the Department of Labor, there may in those circumstances be a defense to any monetary liability. So will companies be able to utilize that defense in any lawsuits that address this period of April 1st to August 3rd when this decision invalidated some portions of the regulations? Will that defense uh, be permitted for all aspects of the FFCRA, particularly those that go beyond the uh, FLSA type of language and type of rationale? These are some questions that we're going to have to answer. These are some questions uh, that you're going to have to look at as organizations. But at least for the moment, I hope that this brought you up to speed, at least on the significant development that took place this morning when a federal judge in the Southern District of New York, in the case State of New York versus the United States Department of Labor, the case number is 20-CV-03020. Uh, you can find the decision online. You could also reach out to me by email or otherwise, and I'm happy to send you a copy of the decision if you're interested. But hopefully in these 22 minutes, I've been able to bring you up to speed as to what happened this morning. And uh, keep listening and keep watching because there will be more to come from this. So as always, I appreciate you listening to the podcast. I appreciate all the great feedback that I get. Please keep all of that coming. And until the next time, I do hope that all of your labor is productive.